Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Hello, mans. <laughs> Last names. <laughs> Hello there, mans. Hello, Aki. Hello, Stevie. How art thou? Thou art well. How art thine? Thine. They, we, we, lo, and behold, art good as two. <laughs> also, and I hope thou, <laughs> thee, dear listener, art well as well as thine art when thou art with one. This is Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. And not, and not a, a Shakespeare appreciation podcast. Is it not? Alas, Alas. boy, Yorick. Oh, dear Lord. Well, um, uh, what the hell are we doing? This is, we're talking about Star Trek Strange New World, season one, episode four, entitled, oh, Memento Mori. Little Latin. Did you take Latin, Stevie? I forget if you took Latin or just Arabic. I did. I took one year of Latin at school, and I was not very good. Surely you know Memento Mori. Is that like first year Latin? Or? No, I'm assuming me- me- Memento Mori, something remembered death, or fuck, I don't remember. Yes, correct. Is it? There I've, it's a thing that I picked up from hanging out with weird punk rock kids. Uh, they're like, sweet, you ever heard of Memento Mori? Death comes for us all, bro. Uh, well, we're talking about season one, episode four. It is entitled Memento Mori, which indeed does mean remember death. Uh, today's star date is star date 414530.7. And, uh, well, it's a hell of an episode. Certainly is. Shall we run it down? Well, uh, we got to do a, bit, a little business beforehand. A little business. Okay, okay, Stevie, okay. Yes. Give him a little business. So, by now, I'm sure you're aware that we have a Patreon. And it is fabulous. So fabulous. So fabulous. You can join us for early access to all of our Star Trek recap episodes for video access you can watch us live as we do it you can in fact join us throw us your comments we'd love to hear from you and of course once a month we also have a watch party where we get together and watch star trek together as nerds and later on we might even have a zoom hangout with you hello i know such value such value starting three dollars a month Uh, if you want to join us at the cadet is that course cadet we have cadet Lieutenant and Commander, I believe. Or no, it's Ensign. It's not Cadet. Ensign. So sorry. Right. Getting confused with my nautical uh, military hierarchy. No, you could be a cadet, uh, but then you're not officially. That's right. You're not like Uhura is a cadet. That's in right. This, uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, you can join us at <laughs> patreon.com forward slash set phases. That is patreon.com forward slash set phases. And Aki dances if you are able to see the video. It's, uh, which you could, yeah, something. but you can only do it if you're a patron mm. subscriber. Yep. Well, I just made myself a little dizzy doing that, but yeah. I'm good now. It's just as well you're a musician, you don't have to dance. It's just as well I don't have to dance, mm-hmm. but not by law, but by the internal law of my heart, mm. I gotta dance. 
gotta dance. Yes, gotta dance, gotta dance, gotta dance. Broadway rhythm. It's got me dance. And it's all this is also not a musical podcast. This is a podcast <laughs> about specifically and uh explicitly about Star Trek. And so let's run down this episode before I start singing other songs from Let's do. It's time to run it down. Can you run it down for me? What just happened? Can you run it down for me? I'd be only too happy to run it down for you. Uh, yes, it is Stardate 3177.3. La'an, our, our chief of security's log, uh, informs us that we're on our way to the planet of Finibus 3, delivering atmospheric equipment, a satellite that will help them filter their atmosphere without it. In but a few days, uh, they will be without atmosphere, and the colony that is there uh, will uh, will not thrive. Well, you know, they'd have to leave, basically. It's also Starfleet Remembrance Day, a day... When all in Starfleet remember those they've lost and ships that uh, fell to calamity or ne'er-do-wells, uh, Pike addresses the, the entire ship and uh, informs us that people wear the insignia of, of ships, past ships that they were on that uh, suffered some sort of calamity. We see La'an, who we know uh, was, was on a ship that suffered a great calamity involving the Gorn, looking down at her USS Puget Sound button but choosing not to wear it. Uh, meanwhile, we also find out that uh, Cadet Uhura, the aforementioned, is uh, is going to be doing a rotation in the engineering sort of sector, and she's there with Hammer, the Einar, as we may recall, uh, who's a bit gruff, and uh, he's sort of quizzing her on the atmospheric equipment, and uh, Uhura's like, oh, you think you got me? She's like, oh, yeah, well, the AP-350 uses charged positron rods that filter the air. She knows all her stuff. And Hammer's like, okay, pretty good, pretty good. But you're going to have to impress me with more than just a desire to impress in order to get high marks. And uh, Uhura takes that challenge. Meanwhile, Lan goes to the bridge. Uh, number one realizes that she's not wearing the button. She's like, hey, you know, about thing and Lon's like, it's no big deal. I'm not into the whole thing and the closure and all that stuff. It's not for me. Fine. The Enterprise arrives in orbit around Finibus 3. However, no one is responding to Hales. Uh, the last transmission was two days ago. Spock says, oh, well, there's this brown uh, dwarf star uh, nearby that's giving off strange emissions. Maybe that's blocking their communications, but it's not that. And then they discover that the communication satellite has been destroyed. On purpose? Don't know. Uh, so they reported to Starfleet and the protocol is for them to send an away team down to investigate number one preps a party and she picks Lon to go with her on the surface fire and blast marks evidence of skirmishing detritus uh, clothes and blood on the walls and a dog barking in a dark store uh, but no, no bodies uh, they do find some weird place where all the bodies seem to have been dragged to a central place, but they're all the bodies are missing. Just as they're discovering that, an unidentified ship shows up on their sensors. Uh, the away team is immediately beamed up for safety. Uh, Pike calls for a yellow alert, but then the ship hails him, and he belays that order. And they they, they are discovered they are being hailed by Professor Tandy of Finibus 3. And she's got a bunch of people that are injured. They're on a cargo ship that is 
raided for like radiation and so transporters can't get through the shielding and when pike asks what happens they say i don't know the blast hit us from the sky there was a weird ringing sound and then things get real blurry after that and when we got up uh you know a bunch of people from our our, our colony or encampment or whatever you want to call it insulation were missing and uh, we just got in this cargo ship and and tried to get to safety uh, so those folks are brought into Enterprise by means of a transport bridge, which is literally just an airtight sleeve between the two ships. And uh, why was I saying that like I'm a science teacher? Uh, transport bridge, which is literally... Uh, okay. Deep space tube, I believe it's called. A deep space... Deep space transfer tube. A tube. Um, the witnesses... Uh, the only witness they could find is a farmer who says that he saw streaks in the sky like the fire was on... Like, like rain on fire. There's only a hundred survivors on this cargo ship. So there's many more people, but they're all gone. Nobody's just blood. Then a young girl named Big comes running down the way and she's screaming about monsters and Lon stops her and asks, uh, she saw something. She says, I didn't really see it in the dark, but the thing that took daddy made a clicking sound. And she makes the clicking sound, sort of clicking your tongue. And Lon reacts immediately, tells the bridge to scan the area for polarized DM signatures. Spock finds that there is one such, a hologram near one of the moons. But the Enterprise can't raise shields because of the deep space tube uh, that's to the cargo ship. And so there's a ship that's coming towards them, flying all weird and erratic and scary. Well, Alan looks out the window and she says, it's the Gorn. And then the Gorn ship blasts the cargo ship and the tube. Uh, meanwhile, Lon's having these like weird flashbacks of someone else from the USS Puget Sound. We don't know exactly what's going on there, but she comes to, she's being checked on by Nurse Chapel. You see sickbay is in disarray. Several of the colonists are dead. The mother and Fig, who we met, are dead. And number one looks severely injured, but she sends Lon to the bridge. She says, if it's the Gorn, we need you up there. We also find out the hit was pretty intense to the ship. Uh, warp is down, and Hammer is trying to secure uh, the processor on the uh, the satellite that they were meant to deliver before they can get to warp. Shields are only at 60%. Ortega can only get half impulse because one of the impulse engines is jacked up. And Laon finally gets to the bridge and she says, no, we can't do any offensive things. You can't try to fight these people. We have to raise shields and retreat. This was a trap. This is what the Gorn do. They get to you when you're vulnerable. They make you wear down your resources, and you gotta trust me, Captain Pike. Uh... And Pike is like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to trust you. So he goes back to Spock and he says, hey, what about that brown dwarf uh, star? And Spock's like, well, it's a gas giant star. However, there are some things you should know about it. It's tethered around a black hole. And Pike's like, maybe we can go in there and hide. And Spock says, oh, sure. But the density within that star could cross the ship to bits. Also, it's surrounded by a volatile gas cloud. And uh, so we'd have to turn all of our power off. Otherwise, that could create a really dangerous flashback effect. So we'll be without sensors, comms, or shields. For some reason, Pike is cool with that. And he says, you know, anyone who's following would have to do the same thing. Uh, so he makes on acting number one again, and they they proceed, pursued by the Gorn. Meanwhile, sickbay uh, and the main cargo bay take fire as they're trying to run. Uhura gets knocked out, wakes up in the wreckage, and finds ha Hammer with his hand trapped under a giant console. His fingers are broken when she finally gets him out. They try to go to sickbay, but the door is blocked by more detritus and wreckage. Also, the coolant system on the AP-350 is down and uh big bad boom is imminent so the bridge crew is in the bridge crew meeting room in benga and hammer on the screens pike asks how long before it blows hammer's like hey i've got time enough to stabilize the unit if not 
uh, it could create an atomic blast that would take out the entire enterprise. However, because they turned off all the systems to be inside this dwarf, this dwarf, this brown dwarf star in order to hide from the, uh, the Gorn, there's no transporters. And so Pike is going to have to send a team to try and dig Hammer and Hora out. And Hammer's like, well, I'll be working while that's happening. Manga chimes in and says that with sickbay all offline, they only have the things that they had, but they just took a huge hit. So they lost all these supplies and they're using what they can to repair people. But basically it's triage. They're just trying to like keep people alive for the time being because they can't replicate more stuff and they're working on patients. And then he gets called away in sickbay. We see uh, Una, who says, who was reported to have been fine, says, hey, I'm fine. I got a couple cuts. Uh, she just basically collapses trying to walk away. Uh, Benga and Chapel rush over to find out what's wrong with her. She has deep puncture holes in her torso, very, very deep, but they don't have the like super machine surgery. Why am I uh, knife and fork uh, laser to patch her up? And Benga goes, Oh, well, Chapel, you're always interested in archaeological medicine. How good are you at sewing? Chapel's like, Uh, Aces. Meanwhile, in the conference room, we get the rundown of the basic situation on the ship. As I said, all the systems are down. They only have one torpedo left, a single photon torpedo. They can't fire it while they're inside the brown dwarf because a whole bunch of bad things would happen. Uh, and also, there'd be no guidance systems. Ortega asks, okay, how are we going to fight without shields or weapons? These are the Gorn, basically boogeymen. No one's ever seen them. No one really knows who they are. But La'an has seen them. And she's like that guy in Jaws. Does anybody remember that scene of Jaws? Anybody? Who am I not talking to 40 people? Do you ever see Jaws, Stevie? No. You've never seen Jaws? No, I have oh not. Oh, my God. That is the next watch along. I know it has nothing to yeah, do okay. with anything. Anyway, there's some old salty sailor who's got just mad about things and everyone's arguing what are we gonna do about the shark and the sailor like scratches a chalkboard and he's like i've seen sharks i've seen what they do to people they're hunters they're predators they're relentless and they don't stop once they've got the flavor of blood on their tongue which is basically what Ma'an says about the gorn she says they're not supernatural but they are monsters and to gorn human are just walking feed bags just pray so pike's like listen Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be vigilant. We're going to get creative. And he speaks a lot privately. And he's like, hey, listen, I know you saw the Gorn. And it's pretty tough. And, you know, you're a blunt. You're a straight shooter. Uh, but, you know, you're act, acting number one. You kind of got to also your job is not just to give people orders, but also to give them hope. And he says, if you give people hope, sometimes they can do a miracle for you. And La'an says she'll make that adjustment. She's not going to lie to the crew. And Pike says, you know what? The best miracles come from true. <clears throat> Uh, Pike asks La'an for more information on the Gorn and La'an uh, says, oh, no, I don't really. I mean, I, it's hard to I mean, she's hallucinating again. She's seeing this former crew person that we don't know behind Pike. Anyway, she excuses herself. We go back to the cargo bay. Hammer is trying to work, but he's woozy and his fingers are broken, so he can't work. He's an engineer. And he says the most important things to an engineer are their mind and their hands. And I don't have hands. Uh, and Uhura says, here's what we're going to do. You're going to have to tell me what to do, walk me through it, and I'm going to do it. And despite his having uh, deep misgivings about any sort of teamwork, they begin to work. Meanwhile, Pike returns to the bridge. Spock has an idea. He's going to use the Coriolis within the gas giant, using the little curly cues of the, the ship passing through the gas in the cloud. They're able to 
track these these weird disturbances within the whole cloud field and using that they're able to sort of create like a sonar situation where they can track ships moving through the gas which is a brilliant idea pike says you've just turned a compass into a radar and doing that they're able to find the ship that attacked them which is one minute out it's flying towards them and pike wonders if they can see them and spock has no idea but then the gorn go right past so that you know we can't see the enterprise and pike tells zaniga who's somebody else on the bridge that we now know uh to arm the lone torpedo that they have. And Spock reminds Pike that the guiding systems won't work in the gas giant uh, if he's trying to fire on the uh, Gorn. And, and Pike says, I'm not going to fire on it. I'm going to drop it on him. Uh, so they follow the enemy vessel using their sonar radar thing. They fly. They arrange the cargo base so that's 90 degrees above it. They use the gravity of the gas giant to pull the torpedo out of the torpedo bay and down to the ship and destroy the ship. However, their, sh- their celebration is short-lived because shortly after they do so, they get several multiple incoming signals of three more ships headed their way because it was the Gorn's plan all along to sacrifice one of theirs to find out where the Enterprise was. Three ships, two of them the same as the other one, and one very, very big, which I assume means bad, Gorn ship. Lon's like, we gotta run. And Spock's like, we do gotta run. But if we go outside of the brown dwarf cloud, they're gonna be able to see us. And if they keep going in, uh, we're going to be destroyed by the gravity or the black hole. And again, Pike likes that idea. So he tells Ortega to take the ship further into the brown dwarf, as close to the core as she can get it. And Pike believes the Enterprise can outlast these Gorn ships in that crazy pressure. Thus, they dive. Meanwhile, back in sickbay, Chapel and Mbanga are stitching up Una. Uh, everyone's hearing all the metal groaning. That was a bad impersonation of metal groaning, but the ship is like descending and there's more atmospheres of pressure being applied to it. And the hull is sort of bending and stretching underneath the pressure. Uh, Uhura and Hammer hear the same thing. And Uhura is having trouble uh, running the computer and figuring out which rods are broken because the system is not quite working. And Hammer's like, we got to do this by touch. You know, these are cooling rods. So the, the ones that are hot should be pulling the heat away from the system. So the ones that are cool are the ones that are broken. So that by touch, they're able to figure out how to get some of these rods out. And they keep working on that. The lower decks are beginning to buckle. Those are the most vulnerable parts of the ship. Pike orders the crew out of there, but Spock tells him there's no time left. It could destroy the rest of the ship. Pike has to order the bulkhead sealed, even though people are doing a mass exodus out of there. In the lower decks, we see Chief Kyle stops to save someone who falls down. That crew person gets up, and they're getting to a bulkhead, and the doors are closing. The crew person pushes Kyle to safety and then is exploded by a thing when a thing happens. Pike is not happy about this loss of a single crew person, especially here on Remembrance Day. Meanwhile, the Enterprise is at the limit of the pressure that it can take, and they're going to have to stop. So he orders a full stop, and he tells everyone to battle stations and get ready for close quarters fighting because La'an told him that the Gorn are going to try to board that ship and take them for their own evil, nefarious feedback purposes. One enemy ship attempts to follow them down into the depths of the star and is destroyed, imploded by the atmospheric pressure. However... The Gorn are relentless, and so we we know that uh, there are still two ships out there, one of them huge. In Sickbay, we find out that Una still has one uh, deep fragment left. It's stuck in her, like, abdominal aorta or whatever, and they're going to have to put her out. She's going to bleed a ton, and they only have just enough plasma left to keep her alive uh, in order to do that operation. And just as that happened, another patient needs that plasma, so Una 
as she is taking the gas to knock her out, orders Mbenga to give that plasma to the patient, and she continues taking the gas, even though she may bleed out with this critical surgery that she needs now before sepsis sets in. What are they going to do in sick bay? Captain's log. Pike has a little time to get away. He's like, listen, three civilians have died, seven crew have died, but he's determined to keep everyone else alive. Spock uh, pipes up and mentions that the black hole is sucking down more of the brown dwarf than they thought, a little bit quicker than they thought, and they have an hour and 32 minutes before the Enterprise won't be able to get away from the gravitational pull of the black hole. In order to figure out what's going on up top, they do have to go up, reveal themselves, and possibly have to run and fight from the Gorn, which they cannot do in their 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 you know critically wounded state. And so Lon suggests sending a shuttle up to check out the situation, a shuttle that could check things out with less of a footprint. Uh, and she volunteers to fly the shuttle, and Spock volunteers to go, saying she'll need backup. Pike gives him the Galileo and tells him to be back on the ship in 30 minutes, no matter what. Spock and Lon are in the shuttle, and they see the two remaining Gorn ships. They're they're doing like a little recon on them and they're like scanning each other, like pushing lights onto each other's hulls, like laser lights. And uh, Spock's like, actually, it looks weird that they're scanning. Why would they do that? And Lon says, it's actually something else. She mentions the Puget Sound and being attacked by the Gorn, but says that she feels like she's seen those lights before. She doesn't know what it means. Her mind is sort of like protecting her from the trauma. And she suggests that maybe a mind meld, the Vulcan mind meld, might help her uh, find that information where it's buried in her mind. And even though Spock has his reservations about the effect it may have to unbury this this trauma, uh, Lon is adamant. And thus, they meld. Did he dive? They meld. Uh, Lon, uh, memories resurfacing on the Gorn planet in the caves where they were brought to be food for the hatchlings and, and hunted day and night. And Spock tells Laon that her mind is resisting. And Laon says, I'm scared, but I don't want to stop. Uh, we see a young Laon running with that person that we saw before, that face that we keep seeing, looking down at her, smiling. We hear the clicking of the Gorn, and the person tells her that, hey, I've been taking out the lights, and that's how the Gorn talk to each other. And he hands her sketches that he's deciphered how it works. He says, you got to take this information. You got to run. I can't come with you. I can't escape. Uh, she sees the code and realizes that she's she knows this code. It's in her. And he tells the, the person, that friend, that that face tells her to run. And that's when uh, she realizes that's that we realize. I guess she knew the whole time. It's her brother. She's seeing her brother because uh, that was the ship she was on with her family. And uh, Spock says at that point, her subconscious has set a boundary and they can't go any further. However, Spock's subconscious is letting the little thing slip because Spock's subconscious uh, allows Laon to hear Burnham's voice and uh, discover that he had a sister that's not shown in Starfleet records and so on and so forth. And so Spock's like, we're going to end this mind melt. But Laon realizes that Spock has lost somebody important as well. They come out and Laon's like, hey, I have an idea. I know that code. Here's what we need to do. Uh, so they fly closer to the ship. They send a message from the ship, from the smaller vessel, looking like it's coming from the smaller vessel to the larger vessel, I believe, that humans have boarded the ship and taken it over, which the Gorm absolutely would not accept. They would kill anyone that showed that kind of sort of weakness. And the big ship destroys the small ship. So we're down to one ship, the big ship, but it's scary. They come back. Cargo Bay. Uhura finishes the repairs. Hammer starts passing out. She talks to him to keep him conscious. She learns about the whole thing because Einar, pacifist. Why did he join Starfleet? He wanted to be a botanist. He won't fight for Starfleet, but he will defend its ideals. They, you know, a little bit of conversation about what pacifism means. Then a new alarm goes off and it looks like, uh, hey, this thing's going to blow up come hell or high water. The only options are to vent the entire bay and everything in it into space, including Hammer, 
and Uhura. Otherwise, it's going to explode and take the whole ship with it. They notify the bridge. They say they got 20 minutes to the explosion. The brown dwarf is also dissolving a little too quickly for uh, comfort. And Pike wants to use the black hole to slingshot the Enterprise to safety. Safety, However, Spock says it's impossible because the remaining Gorn, well, he says it is mathematically possible, but the remaining Gorn would have an opportunity to pursue because they would see uh, uh, the Enterprise coming out of it. And that's when Pike says, well, why don't you explain gravitational redshift? And now that means I have to somehow explain gravitational redshift. Did I Google it? You better believe I did. Uh, okay, so redshift. Well, are you going to hit Google that? Nope. I don't know. I don't even know what it could be for Aki as a nerd and Google's redshift. Here's here's the theory. The theory is you're at the edge of a black hole and the you're moving faster than the speed of light into like past the event horizon of said black hole. So the light that you're actually sending out of to someone who is observing you from further away is moving slower than you're moving. And so that that uh optical illusion would make it seem as if you were still where you were when you are in fact moving faster than the speed of light in a different direction that makes sense oh totes totes yeah i'm not sure that i fully understand it either i do remember what the redshift has to do with uh whether light is moving closer to or further away from you depending on which wavelengths are closer to you as an observer but oh boy the point is uh, it will allow the Enterprise to look like it's in one place when it is, in fact, in another place. And that's when Pike asks, hey, maybe we're going to play dead. And Laon gets it. Uh, and they begin to prepare for this crazy thing where they're going to uh, fly as close to the accretion disk as possible and bounce off of it and do the slingshot effect, but hope that as they get close to it, they can drop the AP-350, which is about to explode, and have it act as a decoy and look as if, when the Enterprise is in that gravitational redshift illusion, like the Enterprise has exploded, thus causing the Gorn to believe that the Enterprise has died. Right? Whew. Uh, Uhura and Hammer put on EV suits and attach themselves to the deck of the cargo bay. Uh, and... Uh, the bridge prepares for maneuver, uh, which Ortega says that they pull it off will officially be called the Pike Maneuver. Pike opens a shipwide channel. He tells the crew that uh, Starfleet does not give in to fear and that this will not be their last mission, but their finest hour. They fly toward the event horizon, pursued by the Gorn ship. The Gorn ship breaks off as they get too close. Ortega hits the edge of the accretion disk. Spock is able to reach through the G-forces to hit the button to vent the cargo hold. The AP-350 goes out. The Gorn ship sees the satellite blow up and flies off, thinking it is the Enterprise. The Enterprise slingshots back out uh, after a bit of uh, breath-holding... Uh, anticipation we find out that Uhura and Hammer are still alive even though their bolts like half broke off in the flying uh, Pike walks over to Laon he's like hey I think that was pretty much a miracle don't you and Laon's like what about next time he's like next time well they won't catch us sleeping she's like but it's a concern that they're looking for new hunting grounds they're further out than they've ever been uh, number one Una Chin Riley comes back around uh, to discover that she didn't die but in fact was kept alive by, uh, well, it seems Dr. Mbenga hooked himself up his own blood and plasma to keep her alive uh, through the procedure. Uh, La'an goes back to her room and for the end of Remembrance Day puts on the pin of the USS Puget Sound. Uh, she gives a personal log where she mentions that, yes, seven of the crew died uh, and everyone's taking it hard, but we survived. And at that moment, she comes into the bay where the 
coffins are and sees Pike and Pike nods and La'an nods back. And that is the end of season one of episode four of Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Memento Mori. Let's chat about that. I say, darling, let's do a quick chat about that. Yes, let's do. We got through. <clears throat> wow, Tired? it's hard to do this without tea. Well, okay, I'll say the first thing that I thought was cool about this episode, uh, apart from all the obvious things, I really enjoyed that the first half of it was like one of those like submarine movies from World War II. It was like yes. all this like ship stuck, you can't see. Dive, 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 radar. Yeah, dive, 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 radar. Yeah, uh, trying to find the enemy in the darkness, and mm-hmm. you got to sneak up behind them. And that was cool. And the, oh, the ship creaking was great effect mm-hmm. yep. as it gets too deep. I thought that was super cool. Uh, we never see the Gorn. Interesting. Right. Because if anyone's ever seen <laughs> the the original series, I don't know what episode it is where Kirk it's meets the It's basically a mini T-Rex. Uh, yeah, it's just like a, it's like a mascot. It's mm. like a dude in a mascot suit for a T-Rex with big bulbous eyes. And I don't know how they could, how they're going to retcon a, an actually scary looking Gorn, lizard man. Where was that photo? Do you remember I there was a band photo with you in the rest of Lake Street and I took a Gorn and superimposed it. Where is that photo? Yeah, it must be somewhere. We posted it. It's got to be on Did our I? thing. Oh, that's good. I'll have I'll have to I'll double check. But I love that one. I thought that was quite funny of me. Mm-hmm. Meme game strong. Meme game strong. The Gorn. The Gorn. Um yes. Oh, I Fight see it. to the death. Here it is. You found it. I did. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, that's the Gorn, everybody. Yes. I there's a I don't know, maybe it looks like the Gorn's doing a thumbs up wearing what can only be described as a nineteen sixties mini dress. Mm-hmm. Uh now standing obviously next to Mr. Ramis on the album cover, obviously, with his band. Anyway, if you well. like to uh follow us. We're on Instagram, then you can check out that post from January. The sweet, sweet content. There you go. January 2021. See, you can repurpose it all the time. Anyway, that was Gorns. January. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we haven't seen the Gorn, so I wonder how... It seems like, obviously, they're setting up that these... We're going to be dealing with these Gorn again. Mm, we right? have to. What was the... I'm trying to think. Have there been species that we have not seen? Um, species 3 for the Voyager one? Did we ever see them? We see species three, three, four, or five, nine, whatever Seven they're called. Point, never know that. Do we do? Yeah, we do briefly see them like eating Borg at the end of a hallway. Yeah, they kind of look like the aliens from Alien. Okay, right, I couldn't remember if we actually saw them. You know, it's a really effective tactic when you're storytelling to not reveal. Like you build the fear by not revealing mm-hmm. the predator. Remember, like Jaws, you don't see Jaws really until the end of the film, do you? Right. Not that I'd know because I haven't seen it. Not that you'd know, not because you haven't seen it, have you? No. Oops. You've not watched Jaws, have you? No, but I did go on the ride at Universal, and that was terrifying. You rode the Jaws ride, and you haven't seen Jaws? Yes. My parents thought that would be fun. Fun. A fun. Maybe nightmares for years. I imagine that the ride is not nearly as, uh, uh, like, delectable and sumptuous a cinematic experience as the original Jaws is. Have you been on it? Of course not. I'd be terrified. The ride is you're on a boat and the boat, there is a boat next to you that gets eaten by Jaws. So it's sure. quite, it's 
quite interactive. I'll give them give them points for that. It's quite interactive. Jaws never does that. Get in very the movie. wet. Listen, the thing, the problem with Jaws is, and yeah, this is important, folks, for understanding Star Trek, is that they jumped the shark quite literally mm. after the first Jaws movie. They were like, let's make more Jaws and keep making the shark bigger. And there's one where like the baby of one of the sharks comes back with revenge on its mind. It's preposterous. Uh, the original movie is about a shark that attacks like three or four people and then people are trying to kill the shark and they have to find it and then there's like a little bit of a standoff at the end you see like parts of the shit of the shark and apparently you only see that because the animatronic the like machine screwed up and so oh, it forced okay. Spielberg to use it less which obviously makes the movie better which hmm. I, and I agree yeah which also okay. makes the Gorn exciting and I do know that fun fact it was filmed in Martha's Vineyard oh yes I've many times have I gone to the what they I call the Jaws house. Mm-hmm. Oh, the mm-hmm. house. Oh, I've just been, I think I just passed the, the bit on the beach. The beach, and the there's like a, a house in that's Roy Shatter's character is called Chief Brody. And you can go past Brody's house if you're in the right place on the island. We, should, we, should, we digress. Let's get back to this. We do digress. Anyway, we haven't seen the Gorn, and I bet we will at some point. There was, I thought we might, because he was like, get ready for close quarters fighting, but we didn't. Mm. Anyway. Close quarters, uh, I love that. Do, 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 anyway. do, 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 do. There's more Other... to La'an's story even than we have now, mm-hmm. right? Her subconscious has given us a block, so we have to wonder what else. What, what, what else? We also have to wonder, I think, if the rest of like the bridge crew at least will find out about Discovery or not. Right. Like... Pike knows about it, and number one knows about it. Mm-hmm. But La'an got a glimpse into Spock's mind with, with his mind meld. Mm-hmm. and heard uh, Michael Burnham's voice say, I love you yes. too, brother. And so yes. she says, you don't have a brother. I checked Starfleet's records, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah, blah. And he's and like, he's oh, like, we better end this. It's time to end this. Well. Let's finish. Let's finish it here. Let's not talk about this ever again. Um, I mean, that's going to be a tension for the whole show, of course. Mm. But can Ahura ever know? Like, if Ahura knew that Spock had a sisters that would be a whole thing right so for the time for timeline purists who freaked out during picard season two you know they mm-hmm. lose their minds but so far so good new characters finding out about box sisters fine mm-hmm. all right any other thoughts well of a false oh uh purely nerdy thought and you know at me if you give uh but they spent so much time in this star near a black hole, and then they bounced right off the accretion disk. They slingshotted around the black hole's dense, you know, impossibly dense core, and there was no time dilation. They should have come back, and it should have been like four months later or something. That's very nerdy. I like that. Anyway, it's a thing I wrote down. Uh, do we have any news? I don't have any news. We do have one or two Easter eggs. Don't have we Easter now? Eggs? We do. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. It is I, Aki Barbisa. You're here at Set Phasers uh, TV News. And we go directly to the Easter egg desk. Stevie, what have you got for us today? Well, hi there, Aki. How you doing? Happy to be here. As always, how you doing today? Happy to be I never usually throw it back to you, too. I just thought I would do it fun. Nope. Uh, so, we are here on the uh, set of Strange New Worlds, episode four. 
Mm. And I have a couple of Easter eggs for you. It wasn't chock full of Easter eggs as some of our previous episodes have been. However, quite, quite. One or two. Um, so you did mention, obviously, this was mostly a sort of submarine-type um, episode. And that in mm-hmm. itself, I think, was somewhat uh, of an Easter egg. But, you know, a bit of an obvious one. So let's go for some of the less obvious ones. Matter synthesizers. When <laughs> Dr. Umbenga mentions that they go offline, um, obviously we were like, oh, matter synthesizers. So the original series did not have replicators like right. TNG, but right. we did see lots of food slots in TOS. And in Disco, uh, a matter synthesizer was used many times, clearly a forerunner to the replicator. So mm-hmm. that's just if you are nerdy and watching and thinking, hey, where's the replicator? What's the matter synthesizer? <laughs> there you are. Uh, back in sickbay, um, Dr. Mbenga mentions or references archaeological me- medicine. Mm-hmm. Slightly, slightly, this is a bit of a, a tenuous link, slightly referencing the edge, sorry, the city on the edge of forever. Uh, the original series episode in which Bones gets grossed out by 20th century hospital. Mm. So, bit of a bit of a throwback because it's like, oh, can you do twin? Can you do archaeological medicine? So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. Oh, sutures. Oh, yeah. Yes. Um, Spock's mind meld obviously with Michael Burnham. So mm-hmm. nice mm-hmm. Easter egg for discovery. And my last one was the Pike maneuver, mm-hmm. or a mention of, oh, this could be known as the Pike maneuver. What was interesting about that right. is that it is the opposite of the Picard maneuver. So Picard made it look like the Enterprise was in two places at once. Yes. And Pike made it look like the Enterprise had stopped moving. So that's, I thought that was quite cute. Very cute. Mm. Love it. There we are. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Well, Aki, that's everything down uh, here on the Strange New World's Easter Egg Desk. It's back to you in the studio. So good to hear from you. So good to hear from you. So good to hear from you, Stevie. To hear from you so good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to quotable moments. Quotable moments. I had a few. What did you have? I've got a few as well. I think they're all dialogical. Mm-hmm. Um, the only one I have that is standalone is Hammer saying that passive is passive. Pass- oh boy, is me learning how to read. Hammer saying. Pacifism is not passivity. It is the act is the active protection of all living things in the natural universe. Boy, that was hard to say. Harder even still to do. I liked Ortega and yes, it was somewhat dialogical, but mm-hmm. full full impulse into a giant gas cloud of death. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Cute. speaking of Ortega, I really loved uh uh, you mentioned it, but Pike says, I don't like it either, but the Enterprise has to dive. Take us down, Skipper. And Ortega says, aye, aye, Captain. Dive, dive, dive. Uh, which I really loved. Oh, yes. Also, <laughs> when they mention that there's a black hole, uh, Ortega like looks over and says, like, how big of a black hole? <laughs> uh, and Pike says, one problem at a time. Um, anything else? Oh, I like Nurse Chapel's line. I hear it's like giving birth out your mouth. Oh, yes. And uh, <laughs> number one took the words out of my mouth. She said, who says that? Yes. Yikes. I, yes. The real Sepsis. chapel's quite quirky. I, I'm enjoying it. It's very chapel Very chapel Yeah. 
Laan, I had one more, and she said, the enemy doesn't care about my feelings, so I don't spend any time having them. Laan, so hardcore. And one thing I found very, very cute, Ahura and Hammer, uh, when they're having, when he's injured, and Ahura says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to talk me through what to do. We're going to be a team. And Hammer says, it's not that simple. There's a variety of data that only I can assess. And Ahura says, and I'm the only one with a working set of fingers. And Hammer says, I am not fond of teams. And Ahura responds, get fond. I like that. Get fond. I missed that. Good one. Yep. Yeah. I like it. Uh, I think that's it here uh, from Quotable Moments. Oh, no, no. There's one, one heart strings when the one person who saved Chief Kyle dies. And Spock says, you made the logical choice. And Pike says, why doesn't it feel like that? And Spock says, for the same reason you made it, because you value life. Very, very deep. Mm. Mm. Very good. And with that, it's time for next time. Next time on Set Phasers. Oh, hell yeah. Next time on Set Phasers. I'm trying a new thing. Next time on Set Phasers, we'll be talking about uh, season one, episode five of uh star trek strange new worlds uh i looked up the title of it uh since we're mm. doing this so late it's called spock amok <laughs> oh what fun what fun these producers are what having. fun these producers must be having spock amok uh yeah so anyway if you enjoyed the program and all the shenanigans here in uh we do put out new episodes every monday as often as we can find a place and uh, internet to do it on mondays or sometime soon there after the episode drops uh and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts any kind of podcast app uh but uh yes please do uh, listen to all of our episodes we get tons of star trek content we do. Join us at patreon.com forward slash set phasers where you can become part of our set phasers Star Trek nerdy community and join us for watch parties, Zoom hangs, and all sorts of fun you'll get behind the scenes access to episodes such as this. Get to watch the episodes live, all, all the things. Patreon.com forward slash set phasers and you get to see Aki dance. Yes, and while yeah. I dance, I'll mention that we have uh, social media. We're at set phasers podcast on Instagram and uh, set phasers podcast on Facebook. We have a website that's called www.setphaserspodcast.com I believe. And yep. uh, you can check out lots of cool stuff there. Mostly cool things that Stevie has created because Meme Game's strong. I try my best. And you can see that picture of Aki with the Gorn. In fact, Aki, why don't you just put it in your story? I will. Well, uh, that's everything here from us at Set Phasers. I am Stevie Mounds. And I'm getting fond of teams. And this has been Set Phasers, a highly illogical Star Trek podcast. Computer. End program.